0: from clients. Thank you so much, Cassandra. Very excited to be here and dive into this discussion. Um, I think that's a really great question. Honestly, the most common thing I tend to hear from clients is one, where do I start? There tends to be this feeling of there's so much I need to do, but I just don't know where to start. Um, And then for those that already have started, it's how can I move the needle faster? And it's this desire almost for a quick fix, um, but that's not always honestly the best solution. And there's never going to be one answer that's right for everyone. And so often what I try to lead my clients to is figuring out what specifically do they need. And and that's the approach that we tend to take, but those, those tend to be the most common um, questions that I get when I first start working with clients on on DNI. So thank you everyone for being here. We're so excited to have this conversation with Sam and Karina and learn a little bit more, not just about DI holistically and philosophically, but really try to get into tactical solutions that Sam and Karina have been able to see and utilize themselves and. And I'll hopefully be able to bring in my own personal perspective from the work I've been doing with my clients. But we want to try to get into the nitty gritty of where we can all do better and and hopefully everyone can leave learning a little bit of something. But before we dive into the discussion, we'd first like to engage all of you and have you answer a poll for us to understand how you all have engaged in DEI. So the question we'd love you all to answer is I have led, contributed, and or participated in DI efforts within my organization and let us know if you agree with the statement and what, to what level. And then once we have the majority of our answers in, it'd be great if we could get a view of our answers. Well, this is awesome. It's great to see that so many have already begun to engage with DEI efforts at their own organizations. Hopefully, that will lead to very insightful questions um, that we'll be able to address at the end. If any of our participants do have questions as we go through this conversation, the best way to submit them is through the chat and we will reserve time at the end um, to bring up what we feel are maybe the most, um, the most common questions that seem to be coming up or really touch on topics that we're personally addressing, but we are gonna save questions till the end because there could be a, a chance that we answer some of your questions and the um, different topics that come up along the way. So let's dive into it. Uh, Sam and Karina, thank you so much for being here. I think where I would like to start with regards to talking about diversity inclusion within organizations is where I think a lot of individuals, that's where their mind goes first and that's to um, hiring and retention. This seems to be the main area that everyone wants to talk about how they can improve for DEI um, and also sometimes finds themselves struggling. So I'd like to first focus on hiring Um, and uh, Sam, I'm gonna ask you to answer this first and then Karina jump in as well. So with regards to hiring, do you feel like you've been able to see and particularly to the real estate industry, if you have insight there, um, efforts for attracting and bringing in diverse talent that you feel have worked? And do you have any insight on where you think companies are potentially missing the mark?
1: Sure. I, I think uh, first, thank you so much for hosting the event and having us here. I'm really delighted to be able to join you. Um, I, I would say that over the last year, in particular, um, yeah, we've seen a significant increase in firms' uh, interest in recruiting to meet uh, DNI goals um, and to uh, meet uh, their, their own DNI commitments, um, and that uh, very often takes the form of folks reaching out to say, "We have a new recruitment program, we have a new analyst program, um, or uh, in some cases and uh, you know, with smaller firms as we often have in real estate uh, that may not have the scale uh, that allows them to uh, create sort of a, a type of year long analyst training program or rotation sometimes uh, a focus on, uh, simply we wanna recruit a DNI candidate. Uh, what I'd say is that while uh, you know, I, I think sort of everyone's uh, uh, sort of, you know, intentions, uh, are good, uh, that, uh, the most effective strategies, uh, in recruiting, uh, for a DNI goal, um, are, are, really to engage with academic institutions early, um, to be thinking about how can you partner with that institution, uh, to, um, uh, you know, to, to support, you know, a more inclusive and diverse, uh, pipeline of talent, uh, from very early on in the process, um, the uh, and you know that can mean but what are you doing to you know engage with campuses in terms of you know programming um support for students and helping them learn about opportunities in real estate um the uh uh, but the the firms that you know really come to us sort of fairly late in the game and say we're you know we're recruiting for full-time positions that begin in six months time you know are generally not going to be the best position uh, in recruiting uh, a very sophisticated uh, audience of uh, you know young and emerging uh, professionals, the I would say also that you know th- this uh, uh, you know new cohort of students, as compared to sort of you know my own cohort um, when I was graduating, are, are much much more sophisticated in uh, evaluating and assessing and forming opinions, sharing ideas amongst themselves about uh, you know. Firms, you know, uh, commitments to uh, DNI and how that is uh, finding expression. Uh, almost every firm uh, is saying the right thing, uh, but I think that uh, you know we see uh, firms, uh, you know, we, we see the students really uh, taking, uh, you know, going the extra step, you know, doing their due diligence, doing their research to see, you know, are uh, do I see uh, sort of, you know, that the the management team is inclusive. Uh, do I see that, uh, you know, when, when I look on the website at the lists of you know, folks that are in more senior roles, does it, you know, uh, does it signal to me strongly that, you know, the firm has focused on not just, you know, retention as a discrete objective, but it is, is it a culture and an environment um, that ultimately, uh, you know, uh, you know is, is supportive in a way that's reflected in, um, you know, are having a diverse group of people, not only sort of at the analyst or associate level, but sort of at those most uh, senior ranks of the organization. And I think that's critically important for folks. And I do encourage students to do it because it plays into um, you know, their, the likelihood that they may find a, a mentor for themselves, a champion for themselves within the organization uh, that can really help them to sort of you know, grow and, and build their network. So I think we do see students doing a lot of those things coming to campus with the DNI program at this point is not a differentiator. It's you know how holistic is the firm's commitment to DNI uh, and, and how well is that represented in um, the initiatives uh, that, the, that that the firm is undertaking? Karina?
2: Thank you, Sam. yeah, you hit on a lot of good points and one thing you mentioned you talked about intentions and I want to say intentions versus impact. Right. So, how is your team, your firm, actually trained to recruit people? Are they trained at all? Um, lots of folks that work in the recruitment side. Some of them are trained with HR backgrounds, and some of them are not. Some of them just happen to be part of the team. And they're looking for their team member, right? So, is your team skilled in inclusive hiring practices? Um, has each person on your search committee undergone training for unconscious bias or, or other things like that? And really taking a look at those job ads. Um, Are you letting multiple people view your job ads to see where you might have blind spots or gaps? And again, language in your job ads. Are you using um, inclusive language or elitist language that might not appeal to certain students or might not land typically well with students? Um, Here at Douglas at Rutgers, we also talk about where we're advertising our jobs. Are we using the same old channels or are we getting creative? Are we sharing with personal networks? Um, So I know in education, we talk a lot about like feedback loops. So for example, I share a job with someone in my circle, it might reach a different audience versus if the same old people share it among their circles. So thinking about those different feedback loops about how you advertise jobs could also help you um, start to recruit more diverse candidates. And also thinking about, you said something about engaging institutions very early. Um, our students are keenly aware of what's happening, what they wanna do you know, after they graduate. And so to have that early mentorship relationship with students, I think is really important. Um, like Sam said, a lot of the jobs and firms are saying the right things, but it's that personal connection where you're gonna find with students. Early engagement, letting them come to intern with you in their freshman or sophomore year is gonna really make an impact when it hits their senior year or they're finishing up grad school and your firm um, is you know looking for a really top-notch student. And so I'd say early engagement is definitely a must Um, And also mentoring opportunities. You might not have space in your firm to uh, take on a student for a paid internship or unpaid internship, but really think about how you're coming to mentor students in your local community. I would say lots of firms usually go to uh, four-year schools, uh, public or private, and I would just urge folks to consider community colleges. Um, different schools that um, have a different, uh, you know, racial and demographic background for students, because these are students eventually are going to end up at the four-year school, right, Um, to complete their degree. So really thinking about um, tapping into more either local organizations, community colleges, um, and not always always going to um, elitist or these, you know, high-profile schools to find your students, because there's real great talent, um, and they might just be starting off in a different starting point. Thank you.
0: Yes, I, I love that idea, Karina, of truly, re, truly evaluating what are the criteria you're looking for in your hires and what is a nice to have versus a need to have, because I do think there are a lot of age old practices of, oh, this, like, like you said, like a four year degree is a requirement, but when you really look at the skill sets that the job demands actually you can find those in a variety of other sources and that's where you can potentially find differentiated talent. And so, um, truly having that different mindset around are these actual requirements, Um, to just add a little bit about what I'm hearing. And I'd, I'd love to get your, both of your perspective too. If, if you've ever worked with like DEI data, but often I think when clients come and say, we need to hire more diverse talent, they're thinking of top of the funnel. We need to find more talent to bring into the very top of the funnel. And that may very well be the issue, but often what we do is we do an analysis of the entire funnel and the different stages of interviewing to see, okay, is your issue truly at the top of the funnel where you're just not connecting with enough diverse talent, or is it actually down the road where it's once they get to the second interview or once they get to like salary negotiations, like where is it that... Um, your diverse talent potentially is falling out of your funnel and you'd be surprised how many um organizations it's actually not at the very top of the funnel where they have the biggest issue it's it's towards the bottom where you're seeing practices that are weeding out um, that potential diverse talent and so i would i'd love to hear if you all have have engaged with dei data in the past and your experiences
1: karina please go ahead
0: yeah, so I
2: think for our particular, you know, very small college at Rutgers University, our issue has been casting a wide net. So ours has sort of been um, issues around where we advertise, how we advertise. And again, that language and the ad, that's been, I think, our biggest um, challenge at this point. Um, and in terms of DEI data, it's something that we say we're going to do, but we don't always do it very well. Um, And there could be some, you know, issues with that too, because you want to avoid getting into like, you know, quotas and and legal things um, in that way. But um, data is is honestly, quite honestly, it's a point we need to improve upon. Um, We want to collect data on why folks are leaving, why staff are leaving, um, why some students don't stay, right? And we haven't been able to really um, capture a way to do that in a fair system, right? So like, what kind of data are we looking for? Like, are we collecting data on gender, on race, on socioeconomic status? Um, And then rationales behind why we are collecting that data versus other data, right? Because we need to attend to multiple marginalized identities at one time. And how do we do so in a way that's sensitive, in a way that makes sense, in a way that really moves us towards our, our impact, right? So we have good intention, but what is the outcome that we want? Um, so I'd be curious, if Sam, if you are all working with de i data, how you're doing it and, you know, what's been the results for you all?
1: Sure. I think it, uh, a similar experience is very tough right now to get uh, our hands on large data sets. Um, the, the market is highly fragmented. There's very few, if any, reporting requirements by the institutions that are, you know, hiring students. Um, where we've worked with uh, data that sort of gives us some insights into uh, you know the you know the, the dynamics of the real estate market. It's been in areas like looking at um, sort of your minority and women controlled businesses and fund managers in real estate, uh, their access to capital from pension funds, how they're deploying that capital in historically underserved uh, neighborhoods. Um, but um, uh, I, I think that um, when we're looking at um, uh, when we're looking at sort of the student populations, it's very difficult for us to go beyond. Uh, the outcomes for our own specific student uh, population. And thats That itself is a reasonably sized data set. We're the largest degree granting real estate program in the world. I have 850 students in either undergrad or grad. So we are able to see what's happening there. Um, a lot of the onus is on us though as well, where you know, there's a supply constraint right now. We've got a lot of firms that uh, of late, uh, have reached out specifically, and I think you know many academic institutions have had this experience. You know, uh, folks have contacted them and said, um, "You know, I've got a I've got a specific DNI goal this year, um, and you know, I wasn't investing in relationship building two or three years ago, but uh, you know, I have to start now. I can't delay any any longer." Um, the That there's what we also find though is that as an academic institution, we still have much more work to do. We've made a lot of progress, but we have much more work to do in drawing a more diverse pipeline of students into our programs. Um, And so, you know, many of the things that we offer as advice to or guidance to firms on their own recruitment strategies are things that we have to take to heart. So it's, you know, for us, it's been everything from, you know, at the graduate level, we have uh, an endowed scholarship fund for students who attended an HBCU undergrad uh, or an HSI undergrad. Uh, We have a pride scholarship fund for uh, LGBTQ students, um, women's scholarship endowment, but it does come back. I see Daniel's uh, question about um, sort of, you know, the perpetuation, how do people actually find out about these different programs? Um, and, you know, a lot of it is word of mouth. We're, very, we're a very relationship-based industry and offering, you know, the programs, communicating very clearly in the market that it's not just about the scholarship money. You know, it's a, we never want to assume that just because someone is applying for, you know, an affinity scholarship that they are necessarily financially constrained. Um, the, uh, but we do sort of emphasize, you know, need base as well as merit in, in a lot of these programs. But we have a lot of work to do in making sure that a more diverse perspective audience learns about the opportunity to be in real estate. That there are career paths, that you don't need to be from a real estate family, um, that will support you in building out your network. Um, for a fragmented market uh, with established networks, um, and so you know, very much along the lines of, of Dan's question, um, you know, we have to be really creative and innovative in thinking about how we get the message out. Um, and we're we're not where we want to be.
2: Yeah, and to respond to Dan's question too in the chat, um, I'm in education, so no one's getting bonuses for anything. But um, I'm sure for for other companies and organizations, this might work. But my my fear with this is that this can't be the only tool that you use, right? It has to be, you know, is your ad written correctly? Are you using other um, channels and outlets? Is your current employee demographic, the demographic you're trying to continue to recruit or is it not? So does it not, does it match, right? So like like we said from the beginning, everything has to be approached in a holistic way. You have to look at it from multiple perspectives. There have to be multiple um, channels and outlets that you're using to recruit. So I would say if a firm's only using this way, it's probably problematic. Um, But if they are taking up, you know, multiple strategies, this could be something that does work.
0: Great. I want to hone in, Karina, on part of your comment right there around does does my current workforce reflect the individuals that we're trying to recruit? And this really touches on the second part of this topic area, which is, you know, retention, which is the other area that companies are definitely trying to focus on DEI and potentially struggling is once we get them in the door, how do we keep them here? And it often comes back to this idea of having an inclusive culture. Um, but I'd love to get both of yours opinion on, okay, which do I start with? Do I start with the inclusive culture and then bring in the talent? Do I bring in the talent and then focus on inclusive culture? There seems to be this timing and priority balance that's very difficult with regards to hiring and retention. Um, and so would love both of your perspectives on how do you think about the sort of your resource allocation? Please sure. go ahead. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, So
2: this DE and I work is a full-time job. I mean, it all has to be done at the same time. If you're really trying to make some changes in your organization or your firm, um, I I wouldn't say there's one that you do before the other. I'd say that they're happening sort of simultaneously. Um, For retention, some of the strategies we've taken here at the college is really thinking about employee resource groups. um, Who's running the groups? What are the topics? Are they working? Um, something you'll hear me talk a lot about is this assessment right like how do you know it's working who's told you that um, if do you have transparent ways to promotion in your firm like are you really clear with folks about how they can be promoted and if there's a firm for whatever reason that that's not the case where folks can be promoted easily then it's worth a conversation there too to be upfront and honest like you know this is a position where we have one person in leadership and that person's not going to change, and, but here's how I'm going to invest in you while you're here. Um, the other thing is pay equity. Conduct an internal audit of pay. I mean, we know that women and women of color especially are not being paid equal amount to white men, right? And so like, if you want to get real about these conversations, you have to do the work behind the scenes. Um, another strategy we've taken here at the university-wide really is climate surveys find out what is happening in your organization. You don't know, there's no way you can address an issue if you don't know what the issues are or where you're starting from. Um, We formed ad hoc committees. If there's specific issues that come up, um, I would say make sure that these committees are inclusive, right? that you're not just including like the top level of your leadership, that you're including everyone from the folks who maintain the cleanliness of your space to the CEO, CFO um, in your organization. And try to do so with avoiding tokenizing people right so don't assume that the person of color wants to work on dei initiatives right so when you're forming these groups um these focus groups or ad hoc committees make sure you're doing so in an inclusive way something else that i we really been working on here at the college is prioritizing mental health for our employees and letting them know that while they're here that their mental health is a priority and i feel that that's something that doesn't get talked about enough um, and please hear me clearly when I say this doesn't mean another mental health webinar series. Really ask your staff what they want to see um, to help them, you know, get through the, this workspace, especially working, um, coexisting in a pandemic right now. Right. Um, there's lots that are on people's mind. And so I think just being really transparent about why an employee would want to work there and why they would want to stay um, and make sure you're not assuming what employees need and you're really asking them.
1: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll echo uh, Karina's comments with regard to, you know, the importance of creating an environment that's supportive of, uh, you know, people's you know, mental health and well-being. I think like a lot of academic institutions, a lot of, I should say, a lot of academic institutions historically have focused a lot of resources on supporting students. Um, and we've seen those resources increase uh, over time. Um, the, during the pandemic in particular, I think we've seen more in a larger number of institutions um, also begin to direct resources and support uh, to faculty and staff um, out of a recognition of how challenging you know a time it's been uh, for for everyone, uh, all members of the community, um, and that uh, you know, uh, you know the, the whether it's our living circumstances, uh, whether it's you know the. You know, the way in which we've had to adjust work um, that um, you know it's it's, it's a priority uh, organizationally and I think that's you know important um, you know in the, in the private sector as well. Uh, one of the things that I think we find this comes back to Karina's point on thinking about survey sort of, you know, what it is that you know um, how it is that you create and, and foment and support cultivate um, an inclusive environment. I think all institutions continue to evolve their thinking about, how it is that we move from a scenario where we're focused on, you know, particular distinct categories. You know, I want to be supportive of women in my organization. I want to be supportive of, um, you know, underrepresented, you know, ethnic or uh, racial groups in my uh, organization. An evolutionary step where we begin to think about how broadly we create cultures and environments that are supportive of uh, you know the 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 broad range of uh, diversity that we'll see uh, represented in the organization. Um, the um, uh, you know sort of the you know examples of this is you know, we hear uh, sort of you know we hear a lot of DNI conversations that uh, you know don't address uh, and perhaps it's because it's not within sort of you know it hasn't sort of risen to a sort of a higher level of priority or visibility within the organization, but um, to review, uh, LGBTQ plus inclusion, um, inclusion of people with, uh, you know, different disabilities that will express themselves uh, in, you know, where those disabilities express themselves in different ways. Um, uh, you know, both from a recruitment and retention perspective, uh, finding ways to be thoughtful about broader approaches to inclusion that are not siloing and, and focusing on a specific aspect of a person's identity and assuming that whether or not they're comfortable, safe, you know, uh, invested, you know, depends upon your uh, meeting that one feature of their personality or that one feature of of, of who of their identity, um, it becomes really, really important. Um, the um, a, a last point on this, you know, one of the ways in which, you know, we see it expressed from a retention perspective is absolutely, you know, one of the things Karina mentioned, sort of the, the capacity to advance within the organization, um, I really feel strongly that you know, I, you know being able to identify that mentor, that champion for the person within the organization. And different organizations will make different choices about whether or not you know there's a shared affinity there, right? Do you do you want to uh, ensure that through you know the, the the mentorship pairings for someone who's new to an organization, you know, the, there's necessarily a shared affinity? Um, you know, it may. You know, it may make sense to sort of uh you know pair people in a way that you know reflects the heterogeneity of the organization as well. Um one of the very concrete things that we're looking at is. Uh, and we're trying to do this in data from a research perspective is what are different policies that organizations put in place to support folks that step out of the organization for a period of time because of a change in life circumstances or the household's life cycle. Uh, the most concrete or tangible example of this is uh, someone uh, you know, taking a leave uh, for paternity or maternity um, as they grow their family. Um, you know, how does that impact people's trajectory within an organization? What mechanisms are in place to ensure that, you know, uh, people are able to, uh, you know, reenter and reintegrate themselves into the firm after they've left uh, to start a family? Um, the, you know, that's one of the, you know, the, the, that's one of the areas where we see uh, that, you know, firms often struggle with uh, retention because it is a very specific sort of juncture in uh, people's career trajectories.
2: Thank you. I just wanted to add one more thing, um, Um, the ability to look at it again in a holistic view, right, that you're not just attending to one person's identity because there are many identities that we all hold that are, can be invisible, right, and so if you're taking on this holistic approach, um, to mental health, to well-being, uh, to supporting women, to supporting Black and Latina people in your organization, then you are likely you know, hitting on multiple identities for people before you even know it, right? And so just making sure that you have um, infrastructures in place to do that makes a lot more sense than holding one focus group um, for LGBTQ people, right? Like once a year, like that's not going to make the impact. What's gonna make the impact is um, things that are sustainable over time,
0: know through that holistic lens. Great I want to I want to latch on to Sam your idea of making sure that our organization's thinking is evolving to sort of transition us to the next set of topics which is around education and growth so um that flows very nicely thank you (laughs) Um, and As organizations do evolve their thinking, that requires an investment in education of your workforce, of leadership to understand DEI and how it is manifesting within your organization. Um, Karina, I'm gonna ask you to start to talk about potential educational programs for individuals that essentially need to have their thinking revamped around diversity, equity, and inclusion.
2: Yeah, so this is my job <laughs> is trying to educate students, educate our staff on um, DEI, and I always say, you know, approaching DEI is really about relationship building, finding common ground, communication, um, and sometimes basic human respect, which we seem to have lost um, along the way. Um, I would always suggest the starting place is to find out what your staff need. So something we did here at the college was a needs assessment survey. We have um, lots of different staff members with different experiences, right? And so we don't want to program at people. We want to program with them and we want to educate with them. So we want to start off with figuring out what are the needs of the folks in your space, right? Like maybe some people feel that they are highly skilled in working with a particular marginalized identity, but not in another, right? And you wouldn't know that unless you go and talk to them. So definitely start off by taking like a needs assessment um, for your group. After this, you can decide what areas that you wanna focus on and what best align with your organization or your firm's mission or priorities at the time. Um, I really do highly suggest bringing in experts in whatever area you choose. I know we can all do our own research and our own education, but really bringing in those folks that have the experience and expertise and scholarship behind them is going to be really important to making the training successful. Um, something that we've also been, you know, floating around here is how we make these kinds of things mandatory. At Rutgers, we have a mandatory sexual harassment training that we have to do as employees. Um, you know, it's an online module; it's not that great, right? But we we do it. Um, How do we make these things mandatory for all folks at every level in your institution or your firm? Um, And again, going back to did the training work, did the workshop work? Um, Was it sustained over time? Um, Are you deciding if this is a series versus a one time thing? Um, Is there more training needed? And the most important part for me is what changes were made after this training or because of this training? What did you actually take from it and do? And if you're figuring out that nothing was changed or nothing was done, then there's a real issue there in your, in your pipeline. Um, also suggest holding focus groups to see where staff are. Uh, you might be surprised what you hear. And again, mixed identities or singular identity focus groups both work best. Um, and just speaking to the people in your organization to find out where what is their starting point, where are they starting from and how you can all grow together in a way that furthers your, you know, your firm's mission and, and priorities.
1: Big sort of uh, in my case at our institution you know for every member of the university community there is you know that there are the training modules uh, like Karina described that are required of everyone. Um, I'm a little skeptical of the effectiveness of, of those uh, programs I think they're very they're quite effective in ensuring that people understand what will get them into trouble um, and so what not to do uh, and, and that's important. Um, but um, I, I think they are less effective. Uh, in um, you know generating critical thinking about how as an individual I can support a more inclusive environment within my firm they're really you know, a lot of these modules um, particularly if they're generated or prepared by third parties are you know uh, designed to address liability um, and to um, you know to really make clear sort of uh, sort of where where the, the the boundaries of appropriate conduct are within an organization the um, um, the, uh, the the education element though is critical. So, what opportunities are we creating for folks to engage? And some of the things that Karina mentioned I think are critically important because when we um, you know if, if we approach it in ways like Friday morning there's a diversity and inclusion workshop that everyone must attend. Um, the, I I don't know that, you know, we'd necessarily get the outcomes, uh, that we're looking for, but creating, uh, spaces where folks organically come together and and have meaningful discussions about, uh, you know, how to, uh, you know, create that more, uh, inclusive space, uh, becomes, uh, you know, becomes a path where we can make it a more natural conversation. Um, I think part of that is, uh, in um, you know leadership of the organization, communicating that it's an institutional priority. You know, the, the, the leadership of an organization has an in- incredibly important role to play in communicating to folks at every level, sort of, you know, what the ethos uh, of the organization is, um, and you know hearing from leadership that yes, there's a there's you know sort of there's a grassroots element uh, to uh, to uh, building an inclusive workspace. Uh, but it's also in, an institutional priority. And seeing that it's an institutional priority in a way that is reflected in the leadership team. Um, I, I find it you know, uh, personally quite disturbing uh, when uh, you know I hear from you know, sort of, you know, firms articulating you know, the critical importance of DNI, uh, but then when I go to their website, look at their management team, you know the only person of color might be their DNI officer. Um, you know that uh, this isn't something that is distinct from how we how we run the business, uh, how we engage in deals, uh, how uh, that you know how are we thinking not only about building sort of an inclusive organization, but how do we leverage that then uh, to improve our organizational outcomes? You know we are in a business. Um, and uh, you know, the, like uh, like when we were, you know, ten years ago, when we were talking to folks about the importance of green um, and and sustainability in their organization, showing them how being inclusive improves their bottom line. Um, I think mean, this is one area where your firms still struggle a little bit. Um, that yes, there is, you know, in, in terms, you know, on principle, we want to be an organization that is inclusive um, and, and diverse. Uh, but how do we actually parlay that into better business outcomes um, is still something where I think you know many firms are uh, sort of earlier in that process of evolution and uh, thinking. So that that becomes a big piece of it. Um, I would say that many educational and academic institutions do provide a range of programmings, programming, and you know we do as well. You know, we've got an executive education program uh you know leading building and leading a diverse real estate firm uh but also this goes back to karina's point in thinking more broadly than we have historically um you know nyu were we're a traditional academic institution in terms of you know having a focus on four-year degrees graduate degrees uh but you know the you know the, the there's so much uh, opportunity for engagement with you know uh, you know pro uh, with universities or community colleges that whose primary focus is two year associates uh, what what we may have called historically non traditional learning now I think we can think of sort of a you know, post traditional uh, or, or flexible learning environments. Um, you know, uh, and that also then plays into sort of our thinking about and Karina mentioned this we're thinking about sort of inclusion and diversity at every level of the organization. You know, I think we do see some firms where you know on paper they're meeting their dNI goals because uh, in some operational features uh, of their uh, of their organization, um, you know, they, uh, they they may be more diverse. but the further, up, you look in the hierarchy of that organization, the less diverse it gets. So it's it's not just about the numbers, um, the uh, but but all of those uh, become become critical features. I will say that you know particularly even with small organizations that are struggling to think about how is it that with a limited set of resources as a relatively small organization we can demonstrate that commitment to investing in folks, um, uh, you know, providing continuing you know continuous learning opportunities whether it be through a community call access to a community college's resources or a university's resources, you know, is an incredibly important way of signaling to the team that we believe in lifelong learning and investing in you because in part we recognize that the skills that are going to allow you to remain relevant in the labor force, whether it's within our organization or another, have never been changing more rapidly. And so giving you access to these opportunities is a critical part about how we think about that continuous investment.
0: Thank you so much. So we want to reengage our audience as we transition into our last topic, which we like to call walking the talk. And so we'd like to poll you all again. And our question for you is that the DEI efforts at your organization have led to tangible change. Do you strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree? And can we please pull up our results? Okay, so it looks like we have a mixed range of answers here, about half in the agree and above, and half in the disagree. And so I think this is maybe the most important topic of this conversation, which is how can organizations not just say that they support DEI, but also follow up with it with their actions. And so Karina, I'm gonna start with you around this idea of uh, impact, um, actual impact that comes from DEI efforts.
2: Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's a very important uh, topic, probably the most important that we're gonna talk about. Um, For me, and working with students here in the educational space, I think sometimes DE and I work is very invisible. Um, there's lots of things that can be happening behind the scenes, which is a really good thing. Um, but for our demographic, uh, you know, especially our student population, they want to see the change, right? They want to know what's happening. And so for me, I think a big part of being able to walk the talk is to, communicate to your audiences what you're doing. So if it's a policy change, a process change, if it's something that feels very invisible, but you know is going to create change in the long-term, then you have to be really skilled at communicating this to your stakeholders. Um, Folks, your clients, your students they are not always gonna know what's happening behind closed doors. Um, So it's important to just take that investment into communicating with them. I think as leaders, it's our job to make this work visible. Um, Through communication and through action, and really just involving your clients your students your your other firms as much as possible in the conversation so that they know what's happening. Um, I know there was a separate part of the the conversation we talked about earlier about how you actually um, sort of show those receipts behind all those statements that were put out a year ago right like. What have you done? And something we've done here at the college is we've held focus groups with students, we've done communications updates, we've done follow-up. We have made sure that the things we wrote in our letters, uh, you know, our letters after George Floyd's murder, our um, letters after Breonna Taylor's murder, that we're actually making change for racial justice here at the college, right? And so it's about, and for me, this is really about communication, how you communicate out to folks what you're doing, especially if that work is invisible. If the work is visible, then your stakeholders should know it. You know, if you're behind your desk and you're saying, well, what we did, you know, that made a big impact here or there and folks aren't seeing that, then did it really make land with them the same way you intended it to land with them. Um, So again, just about getting different voices in the mix, making your your invisible work visible and really um, investing in that communication infrastructure, which I think is the part we often forget about is how we communicate this change is happening.
1: Yeah, I think you know I want to go back to those poll results because I think they're really telling. Um, part of it, I think, and certainly on the real estate side, I think reflects that for many firms, the broader commitment to DNI um, is something that has come to the fore as an institutional priority since last summer. Um, and prior to that, initiatives may have been focused on, um, you know, uh, a women's recruitment program um the and your gears have shifted, but the idea of thinking comprehensively about this in a way that is more than lip service um is is new. Um, and I don't mean to understate the incredible things that a lot of organizations have done, uh, but I, I I do not believe that um you know our industry prior to a year and a half or two years ago uh was anywhere near the vanguard in thinking about inclusion in the workplace, uh, inclusion in the way that we think about how we deploy capital to invest in neighborhoods, uh, inclusion in thinking about how it is that we engage with the communities in which we're investing. Um, on all of these fronts, uh, real estate has had a long way to go. So I think part of what these results reflect is that you know firms have been you know, battling on a number of different fronts over the last year, year and a half. Uh, they've been figuring out how to keep their businesses afloat during COVID. Uh, they've been uh, thinking about how it is to you know, uh, rethink their, you know, the, the the nature of the workforce um and to uh, you know get deals done, whatever deals those happen to be, uh, when folks are working remotely, figure out new processes at the same time as this has been a priority. Um thinking carefully and thoughtfully about what is our strategy, how do we execute on this in a way that is substantial and not just performative. Um, has taken a little bit of time. And I think, you know, it's going to take a lot of firms a lot more time. Um, but, uh, yeah, there have not been a lot of quick wins. And so where we've seen, um, you know, uh, firms articulate that this is a priority, uh, where we've seen, you know, uh, you know, employees across the organization um, uh, feeling really much more empowered uh, in, in, you know, articulating um, th- that uh, th- the importance of, of, of inclusion within the organization. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time for some of that uh, you, know, uh, to translate into um, you know, new outcomes. I know for us, you know, sort of this is something that,, you know, has been a priority for us, and we've you know, worked and evolved our thinking and our strategies, you know, going on you know seven or eight years now. Um, you know our affinity scholarship programs. You know over the last six years, um, there are elements of my team uh, where we fall well uh, in terms of the staff, where we you know, we fall well short of, of our inclusion targets and goals. Um, the and, and, you know my goal in terms of how I think about this is that I want my you know I, I want my team to represent or reflect you know the the diversity of my student body. Um, you know, the you know every student should be able to see someone who you know uh, you know has shared their experience uh, to some degree, you know, reflected in the faculty and staff. Uh, but like you know, like many organizations over the last year, you know, I haven't been able to hire folks. Um, you know, I've had a hiring freeze. Um, the um, so you know that's that's constrained us a little bit. The closing point on this. The results of the poll are not surprising to me, in part because I think many firms are, you know, have when we think about sort of you people coming to the uh, coming to the table in a way that is uh, uh, so truly intentional. I think for a lot of firms, it's new. Um, At at the same time, I think that we cannot discount that um, we need some self reflection. Some of the immediate strategies that firms are pursuing. uh, are, are not working. You know, the, the things that sort of the, 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 the knee jerk, oh, I need to do X or Y so that I can get sort of a diverse candidate into my organization or a diverse person into my organization, or I need to appoint, you know, the one person who looks diverse into a and leadership role. Um, the, uh, that may be the first things that occurred to folks in some organizations, but I think we need to be very, very self-reflective about whether or not those knee-jerk approaches are truly effective.
2: And I just want to quickly add, Sam, to what you said, walking the talk is new for some folks, and that's okay, right? Like, in the past, it might have been okay to put out a statement or or to do something that was very performative and people wouldn't call you out on it. Um, It's just, that's just not where we are today, right? So this is new for folks. And so something we've done here at the college is we did a uh, diversity strategic plan. And part of the plan was for us to add accountability checkpoints, right? Like who is actually going to be accountable for this thing we said we would do. Um, and it's really helped us it helped us move along with strategies and our priorities because we're assigning a person or a team or a unit to say, this is going to fall under your scope and we're gonna be back in six months to figure out how you're doing with it, right? So involving, um, making folks accountable, involving external stakeholders to do the same. Um, I think if you have an external board or or some folks that are invested in your your firm or your organization that don't directly work for you um, can be really important. And again, doing that assessment, coming back every six months to figure out those small goals that you set, are they attainable? Are you achieving them? Where can we change things in the pipeline to make it happen? Um, And sometimes I think we get stuck in these really visionary statements that are so big and not tangible and people don't understand, and they sound really good right and for years before they probably did the job for you. Um, And so walking the talk is brand new, but failure to communicate those tangible things that we do is like the real crux in in your in your problem And, and I think that Sam you know you hit that point really well that walking the talk is new for people and we have to be okay with it, and just know that we have to do better in the future.
0: So we have reached our Q and A portion of the event, and I'd like to kick it off with Daniel's question here, which is very relevant to exactly what we were just talking about, which is what are one or two examples of how academic institutions as an employer has put DEI strategy into practice that may be different, um, maybe a different approach from the corporate sector. And for anyone that has questions, please feel free to enter them in the chat.
1: So. Oh. I can, uh, sorry, Karina, please go ahead.
2: Uh, I'm still thinking on this one, so you take it.
1: Okay, so I, I think sort of as, as academic institutions, we have a degree of flexibility for all the constraints of being in an, in an academic not-for-profit. We have the capacity and the ability to, to engage with multiple stakeholders. Um, and so one of the things that I think we've all done is to say, how can we bring you know, different companies that you know, are normally competing with one another you know, how can we create a forum uh, for engagement on uh, issues and topics of shared interest? And so, one of the things that we have the capacity to do as an, as academic institutions is really to bring people together um, and to and to, and to help facilitate uh, that dialogue. We're uh, in a particularly effective uh, position to do that uh, when we're talking about um, uh, sort of you know early career hiring because all of the employers come to our campus anyway. Um, and so to say, hey, you know, be, please be part of this dialogue. One of the other things that you know, we can do um, is to uh, you know, communicate what our priorities are very clearly and emphatically and to say to a hiring organization, if we have a diverse group of students, we're committed to diversity and inclusion. We expect that if you're recruiting on our campus, you are as well. Um, and if you are going to recruit based on anything other than merit, um, then maybe maybe you shouldn't be hiring here, uh, but you know the you know if your recruitment activity is a golf game um, or uh, I don't want to single out the golf players the you um, we you know, you know we, ex, you, know uh, you know we expect you as part of this relationship to be thinking about how it is that uh, you will be recruiting uh, sort of in a way that is fair, inclusive, and merit based um, the, uh, and, and I think sort of, we've seen really positive, uh, responses from that. Um, we've had great, uh, success, I think initially, uh, with the, uh, uh, with our desire to sort of put together, bring together ideas and guidelines. And I, and, you know, we have, and are getting ready to publish a document called the blueprint for a diverse, uh, uh, early state early career recruitment. Um, and it's, input that we've gotten from a whole range of employers, industry associations, faculty at different universities about how it is that firms and universities can be thinking about building and recruiting a more diverse pipeline of students into real estate firms specifically. Uh, and folks have been incredibly generous uh, in sharing ideas, time, you know, uh, conveying to us within their own organiz- organizations what's worked and what hasn't. Um, so, uh, but I think those kinds of initiatives where we can bring together firms that you know, may otherwise sort of be in a competitive position to really facilitate that dialogue has been, uh, has been important.
2: And I'll just quickly say that for the education space, you know, we have a very strong goal of educating our students um, and we have the leverage of scholarship. Um, and by scholarship, I mean, we have the experts, we have the knowledge base here in our faculty. Um, and in many of our staff members. And so we often start at that point of education um, for our students and for our staff members. And in the corporate sector, sometimes I think about the capacity of money uh, that you know, they might have some more resources behind this to, to do this kind of work. So I think on both ends, there's strengths and there's weaknesses, but there's always opportunity, right? To, to uh, put these de practices in place that are gonna benefit your clients, your students, your stakeholders, whoever it is that you're trying to reach. Um, I think we could just do it probably in a different way since we have access to a set of different resources.
0: Great. Uh, One additional thing I would like to add to this conversation point is that a lot of organizations will be coming to us for new strategies. What are new things I can be doing to improve DEI because we seem to not be moving the needle. But then when you do a current state assessment, you realize and uncover that you're not even doing the traditional little things right you actually do find bias potentially in your hiring process you don't have the transparency in your promotional processes um your products aren't actually inclusive either in the way that they engage with the world and so, so looking for new solutions is is great to see the excitement there but it's always important to make sure like there that we have covered our basis for some of like the traditional ways that we know of, of making an organization more inclusive and then to look for those new solutions. Um, Moving on to the next question, what are ways to sell DEI commitment to your organization if they do not have existing programs in place?
2: I can start Um, and it's very similar to Chris's question too. I guess that, you know, thinking about organizations that might not be able to walk the talk and they want to abandon it. And I think, Sam, you hit on this point earlier is that morally, I think we can all agree that this is a really good thing to do, but it's just bad for business if you don't do it, right? Like, who are you thinking about bringing in to your organizations and your companies that's going to run them in the next 5, 10, 15 years? If you don't have that strategic plan thought out, um, then this could be a real issue for you. I mean, tech is booming. And we, we need the people that we bring into our organizations to have the skills and experiences to be able to keep your organization running and essentially making you money. So I would just say that the, the very baseline argument um, for someone like that is that it's just bad for business. And you're not going to see the results that you want at the end of the day. Um, and you know, if you can't get them on the moral argument, I mean, you can start with the bad for business argument. <laughs>
1: Yeah, agreed. And yeah, you know, you're really reinforcing for folks that long term, uh, this is about your. You know, there's an element of this that is about your bottom line. Uh, you want to attract to your organization the smartest and best people. Um, and uh, you're not going to get the smartest and best people if some of those smart uh, and great folks uh, perceive that you're not the right environment to be working in. Um, and so, if you want to be competitive, um, you know, then this commitment is important.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will be the first to say thank you so much to Sam and Karina for all of this insightful conversation. And I will hand it
3: off to Daniel to close us out. Great, great, great. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really, truly. Um, all three of you, Erica, Sam, Karina. Um, you know, This is a great perspective to hear uh, mostly from the academic institution side. I think, you know, particularly because you guys are a bit uh, a few steps ahead. Of the corporate sector, um, so I think we have a lot of learning to do there. Uh, thanks to all the registrants and um, guests uh, that participated and listened in. Um, I think one takeaway is that you know there really isn't a single a single silver bullet, right? There's there isn't that one thing that you're gonna check off on on a on a check check a box off and uh, say that you're done, one and done. Um, and and also with intent and impact needing to align. Um, so yeah, please look out for um, a few more program, um, programs that we have coming out towards the end of this year, uh, September, October. Uh, we're really excited for those and um, have a great rest of your day.
2: Hi everyone,
1: thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you everyone.